Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. It's a delight today to be here with Rabbi David Saperstein, who is the Senior Advisor on Strategy and Policy for the Reform Movement, for the URJ and the RAC. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So you, um, I, I can't even scratch the surface in things you've been involved with, but just to name a few of how significant it's been to have been the first chair uh, for the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, the first on the first White House Council for Faith-Based Partnerships, involved in the State Department, having served as an ambassador, and deeply involved in human trafficking issues, religious freedom, and human rights. With all of this, um, what what got you interested in government service um, from from a Jewish perspective and 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 personal? Well, in part, these issues were. Uh, a reflection of my remarkable parents. Um, my father was a rabbi for on Long Island for 50 years at one congregation before his retirement when he served Central Synagogue and Road of Sholem and West London Synagogue uh, for <laughs> 10 years. The, um, uh, but somehow, and, and he, it was a lower middle class uh, synagogue, never made more than $45,000 a year in his entire career never, until... He retired from that and went to the large congregations. Right person at the right time, 60 families when he arrived, 1,000 when he left. Wow. Um, uh, here, my parents somehow made it to over 80 countries across the globe, wow. visiting Jewish communities everywhere, also interested in other religious communities. They would come back. They were both popular speakers about the international scene. And uh, my childhood was filled with their stories. And they took us off, and my older brother and I, who was a, a well-known Jewish historian, and we would travel to these countries and meet with Jewish communities. They found Murano Jews in the back uh, country of uh, Portugal, some of the first to visit the Falashes, et cetera. So this was always very much on my mind, these issues of international religious freedom, international... You would go with rights. them? They would tell you Occasionally, about oh, okay. we would go with them. When we, in the younger years, they didn't. They were three times in the Soviet Union visiting Jews wow. in 59, 61, mm -hmm. and 67, long before it became a very popular thing. I still remember in my youth group at a retreat with the, the Israeli consul in New York said, you know, this rabbi that's speaking about everyone has to worry about Soviet truth. I wish he wouldn't say anything. We have this handle. Mm. We're working behind the scenes. And, it, you know, that's the only time I heard my dad criticized. And as he is one, I'm very proud of um, here. So this was very much in my, uh, in my upbringing. And uh, it, when I came to Washington to represent the reformed Jewish movement, I'm, with a kind of quintessential multi-issue things, uh, entities, it gave me the opportunity to really develop those interests. And it led to the passage of the International Religious Freedom Act um, and a whole number of other pieces of legislation when Tevi Troy was the Jewish liaison in the Bush administration. Um, uh, here, I'm uh, one of that small group of about 10,000 people who thinks they're close friends of the Clintons, you know, <laughs> um, uh, here. But we were friendly and we were at the White House a lot. I was in the White House with President Bush for the signings 
as many times in his first term as I had been in the first term of the Clinton administration because of these strange bedfellow coalitions of evangelicals and the Catholic bishops, the Reformed Jewish movement and the Black Caucus that passed the Sudan Peace Act and the International Human Trafficking Bill and the International Religious Freedom Bill and a, a number of other bills. So uh, here, you know, this gave me the opportunity to work on those issues. What do you think has enabled Jewish community to be so influential in the American government scene? Uh, you know, Jews have always tended to be well-educated. Um, we have a set of ethical ideals and social ideals that you've devoted your life to so um, uh, powerfully that come from uh, uh, 3,000 years of a prophetic tradition of 2,000 years of the rabbis setting up structures that embody these uh, social ideals um, and the idea of being a light to the nation. So it's not surprising in a country that welcomed us in our historic role of preaching truth to power, of yeah. being a moral voice, uh, and welcomed not just Jews, but all Americans in, in that role, that we would, amongst the flourishing forms that Jewish life has taken here, is a disproportionate representation in American politics, in American public intellectual thought on political issues and in the in careers devoted to public service. Uh, Tevi Troy is a, is an extraordinary example of the, a Jewish public servant who's really made a difference. Yeah, on on issues of religious freedom, how how are the most pertinent issues uh, playing out differently domestically from internationally these days? In the United States, you know, the, the, the most difficult issues is when there are two moral principles in tension with each other. In the United States, um, there is an extraordinary tension between our civil rights laws that protect groups from discrimination of any kind or in terms of employment or housing or education and religious freedom claims from groups who feel that they ought to be able to discriminate if their religious beliefs tell them that the group being protected is engaged in activities that they don't want to be. Is this really just the LGBT issue? It also has to do with the role of women. Oh, I mean, the abortion issue yeah. is a big example. Oh, of course, but yeah. the question, you know, if you have an Orthodox uh, a Jewish truck driver who doesn't want to be alone in, in a cab with a uh, with oh, a woman um, uh, here, you know, what's the, uh, whose rights um, uh, Trump in this kind of situation? So the, we have those. I pray for the day that that's what it is on the international scene, because we have millions of people who are being persecuted, who are being arrested because of the way they worship God, who are being tortured, who are subject to ethnic cleansing and genocidal activity, the Uyghurs, Rohingya Muslims uh, here, the explosion of anti-Semitic acts and Islamophobia big acts around the uh, uh, around the globe, um, the clashes in India between Hindus and, and Muslims, mm -hmm. the problems we deal with on the international scene first enjoy enormous bipartisan support. So we don't have the divisiveness we have here. Um, and, and it allows America to be a very effective voice in fighting for religious comedy and protection, particularly of persecuted um, uh, minorities. It's a tough uphill battle at a time there's a movement away from democracy and human rights at a global level. But if it weren't for the United States leadership yeah. in this arena, the condition of these minorities would be so much worse 
they always say, thank God the United right. States is right. doing its annual report and telling our story to the world. Yeah. Thank God you're advocating through your embassies on our behalf. Um, and it really does make a difference. Just looking at America, what do you think is the ideal relationship between religion and government? <laughs> uh, and what are some of the red lines or concerns of when that goes wrong? <laughs> Wow, that is, that's that's a truly big issue. You know, I, I as you know, I taught church state law for 35 years at uh, Georgetown Law School and comparative Jewish and American law um, as well there. And it was it, it is a very complex issue. The founders of our country, in the main, the ones who were the architects of our legal structure and our constitutional system. They envisioned a country that would not repeat the mistakes that Europe had suffered from centuries of religious strife and war and oppression um, uh, here by functionally separating uh, the realms of religion and government. They could partner together, but there would not be the kind of linkage in which government would be imposing religious views on everyone. We created for the first time in America a country in which your rights as a citizen would not depend upon your religious identity, your religious beliefs, or your religious peaceful practices. That became a model for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights in the mid-20th century when our Supreme Court really gave a robust interpretation of the separation of church and state. Um, so from my standpoint, I believe that wall keeping government out of religion is exactly what's allowed religion to flourish with a diversity and strength and robustness in America, a match anywhere in the democratic world today. Um, uh, here, to others who disagree with me, they feel that that wall separating church and state has been too strong um, uh, here and has resulted in infringing on the religious freedom rights of people who want to say, if you're going to give money to all kinds of nonprofits, give it to religious nonprofits. Mm -hmm. It's a danger from my standpoint of saying, just treat us like everyone else, because we have all kinds of exemptions and protections that others don't have. I don't want to give those up. I think our systems work well, but I respect others uh, who hold a different view. And uh, we'll see. The Supreme Court has moved away from the position that I've held increasingly. And we're in danger of seeing a very different America. This court in the next year or two may actually give its stamp of approval to parochiate to government funding of religious education in America. The, the impact on public schools in America could leave America a very different kind of country than the last three generations of America have known. Yeah, okay, one last question for you, also not a small one. Um, how how would your Jewish social justice commitments overlap with or differ from your Jewish Zionist commitments, if at all? And how might a how might a a, a gentle gentile who identifies as liberal uh, navigate those tensions differently? You really are uh, <laughs> looking for these on one foot uh, <laughs> answers to extraordinarily complex yes. problems. Yeah. Um, I believe that that the struggle for the Jewish people to express its national identity in its historical homeland that has been its historical homeland for 3,000 years is one of the great liberation struggles in the history of the world where we have been barred and banished and persecuted from nothing more than wanting to live in our historic homeland. We've always been there, but time and again, 
Uh, we've been conquered by other groups who have tried to punish us by driving us from our land. And the fact that we have held on to that dream as powerfully had as we have, I think is an expression of, of Jewish values and my social justice ideals. Yeah. I think that part of that Zionist dream is living up to our call to be a light to the nations. Um, and I think there are many ways that Israel has done that. And I think there are many ways that Israel has failed um, to do that. Uh, and that means like with America or any other country that we see that does good things and bad things, we're called as Jews to speak out and to criticize and try and guide people or entities or countries into a, a better direction. So it's a complicated issue about it, but the bottom line is I think that Zionism is fundamentally a social justice cause and inherently uh, to me, I have no qualms about, uh, uh, about the nature of that connection. I do when it engages in oppression of other groups like the Palestinians uh, who live in the West Bank and um, you know even at this terrible, terrible moment that we're talking, I still think the dream of two states living side by side is the only way out of the tragic dilemma that we are in. Both sides are responsible for bringing us to this point um, uh, here, but uh, right now, that's a dream I'm putting aside because the literal survival of the Jewish people is at stake. And as Hamas has shown, if they had the power to do what they did in this limited area to the entirety of Israel, I don't think they would hesitate to do so. Um, here in only Israel's strength enhanced by American support stands as a barrier against that happening. Friends, please consider supporting the URJ and the RAC. Rabbi David Saperstein, thank you so much. Honored to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.